0: Right, everybody welcome welcome here to show 101 on crypto voices uh very happy to be joined by another uh baltic friend here today uh on the show nick mall is the founder and ceo uh, co-founder and ceo of comastar uh based in uh Tallinn, although they have offices in uh, geneva los angeles and uh, helsinki as well and uh yeah i think it'd be very interesting to talk about the services that they've uh offered and provided and things they've seen through the years in the crypto space so uh, very happy to chat with him today mick uh thanks a lot for joining and uh, welcome welcome to the show
1: hey matthew thank you for having me it's a pleasure
0: really happy to have you on i've uh actually i've you know some friends in Tallinn um have have heard of you have heard of your business and i've i've definitely heard good things so i think it's um it'll be an interesting uh discussion but yeah, I guess maybe before we get too uh, too into the weeds on all that, um, maybe a little bit about yourself. What does star do? How did you get into the uh, advisory uh, business? And um, and and yeah, what kind of role does cryptocurrency play in, in that as well?
1: For sure. Um, when I talk about myself, I, I guess I would go back um, quite a lot and um, and tell you when I tell your story when I started. I started my first business. When I was nineteen, so I was, you know, straight out, out of high school. And I don't know if you remember. I don't know actually if you lived in Latvia at the time, but uh, there were a lot of those online penny auction sites. So um, it was a trendy business.
0: What year are we talking about?
1: I, it's two thousand eight, I think.
0: Yeah, I came in two thousand six. Uh, I remember a lot of the fast credit.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that came after actually, but before we had those penny auction sites where you get where you could bid for different products and you could buy some product for let's say five euros and you can get your you know tv for example if you want the auction Mm. so um it it was a trendy business it came and it it went away um but anyway uh estonia when when we had this first penny auction site in estonia then it blew up it was very popular and i was 19 at the time and uh, two of my other co-founders of that business were uh, you know same age we didn't have any business experience and none of our parents were Entrepreneurs as well, but we thought that it's good idea to go to Latvia because Latvia didn't have a penny auction site yet. So, um, but what of course ended up happening is um, that we ordered the development and we had to get the loan from the bank to uh, to carry out the business, right? To to develop the platform and do the marketing, etc. So we took quite a lot of quite a big loan from the bank, uh, which was. Guaranteed deed by our parents. So, uh, <laughs> nice. but, but as, as we were, you know, very green in business, uh, we didn't have any proper agreements with the development company. So they said that because it was, you know, kind of white label solution, they, they already had the platform. They just had to customize it for our needs and and so forth. So they said it's going to take 30 days and, uh, and it ended up taking six months. Uh, and of course, once we were ready, there were a lot of uh, penny auctions in Latvia. And matter of fact, like one week before uh, before we launched, there was a big, uh, uh, big kind of uh, headline in the national newspapers in Latvia that you know one penny auction scammed people, etc. So, um, so um, yeah, when we entered the market, it was already saturated, and uh, and there were you know a lot of scams going on, and and so uh, you know long story short, the business failed pretty badly. But because it also the, the failure of the business also coincided with the um, financial crisis it meant that uh, you know my parents for example they lost you know more than three times their income and, uh, and and but they were quarantining the loan so it ended up being a pretty pretty awful first ex- wow first business experience for me yeah so um, and and all the years the Subsequent years were pretty pretty tough, uh, you know, economically, etc. But I did start, be, did try to start, you know, many other businesses, but nothing really took off. So uh, when I was r- twenty three, I started sending out emails to uh, entrepreneurs in Estonia, and I was checking, you know, who um, I, I was checking the the uh, job portal to see the um, different uh, different job listings. And uh, what seemed to be interesting, you know, in, in an investment space, in financial space, because I thought there's money in that space, right? So, and, and uh, I, I was just sending them emails that, you know, I, I will come and work for you for free and try to send, you know, these emails to the to the known entrepreneurs in Estonia. And funny story, one of the best known entrepreneurs in Estonia uh, actually called me and, and, and talked to me about 15 minutes, how to how to get rich and, and that I shouldn't work for free. <laughs> um, but yeah. That's pretty pretty interesting. Was it Jan Talad? But no, no, it wasn't him. <laughs>
0: the founder of Skype, in case uh, one of the, I guess, the first employee of Skype, right? Yeah. Uh, something like that. Writer of the code of Skype. Yeah. Yeah. Famous, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Entrepreneur, but yeah. Yeah, we can we can talk about Skype a bit later as well, and how it has uh, kind of played its role in the Estonian startup ecosystem. Um, but uh, one Finnish entrepreneur ended up replying to me and, and, and wanted to go to a meeting and have a chat. And so I met with him and uh, we ended up starting an e-commerce venture together where he funded it and, and I, I was doing the work. Um, but uh, we worked on that for one year and it didn't work out. So it, it, it was at the end of the day, it was a failed project. But he had just begun or started a commister office in Finland. And he asked me if I want to do the same thing in Estonia. So that's how I ended up being in, in, in this business. So I started, I, I didn't really have any options anyway. So I started this Estonian office. I, I loaned 5,000 euros from him, uh, rented a small cubicle office in the city center of Tallinn, hired one accountant, and, and that's how we started. And also I started law in the university. So it wasn't you know really, really far from uh, what I was uh, what I was actually studying. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's how we started, and our first um, focus was on the Scandinavian entrepreneurs and helping them to set up their Estonian companies and optimize taxes a bit because you know Finland, for example, is a very high high tax uh, society, uh, while Estonia is probably one of the let's say one of the most favorable taxation environments in Europe. Yeah. So that's how we started.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting uh, to hear because, um, I mean, I think that's, you know, most entrepreneurs will tell you that, you know, it's organic. There's not necessarily a clear and pristine vision uh, from the beginning about what you're going to get into and what you can do and what works and what doesn't. It makes me uh, think of a, a certain question I wanted to ask you for sure Regarding Estonia, I think certainly most Europeans know a lot of the favorable things that have happened in Estonia with with tech or regulation or taxes, as you mentioned, uh, Americans as well, I think certainly in recent years are starting to hear about this more. Um, so just generally before we even get into like maybe what's going on in the crypto world there or whatever, explain to me, Mick, why is it, this is just so funny to me, why is it that like Estonia has basically just become the mecca of everything good as far as (laughs) taxes and business and regulation and tech like where did this come from is this just like really good marketing by you know some people in the 90s or is there really something uh to it in uh, estonian blood I, i just don't get it
1: i think i i think there are different reasons one big reason uh, when we think about the startup scene and the tech scene, is definitely Skype because Skype was, you know, an early success story, and the founding engineer team was from Estonia, so it was developed here. And and um, when Skype did their uh, Skype uh, founders did the exit from uh, from the business, then obviously they made a lot of money. So for uh, for us in Estonia, or you know, young entrepreneurs and and aspiring entrepreneurs, it, it was kind of, you know, proof of, uh it, it made it possible, right? You, you read about all these big businesses, et cetera, and, and this made it possible. And these guys, they made a lot of money, and they came and they started investing that money in Estonia. So, and they participated in pitch events for, uh, for for startups, etc., and also they attracted other investors from you know from the U.S. from across the globe to look into Estonian ecosystem, and um, and the Skype Mafia. Essentially, I think they have kind of the biggest role uh in creating that sort of flywheel right so you had you had this uh, great company talent uh, you had money and then uh, it's it's kind of you know it's re- reinforcing uh there were more more good companies more money more talent looking uh looking to estonia so and that's how it works and and that's how it uh, has enabled estonia to uh, to build itself up to um to the current state where we are at at least when when i talk about the startup ecosystem so and and that's really healthy here and, and there are a lot of startups a lot of successful companies and it's really interesting to see i guess there are other reasons as well like you know there always are uh, and taxation is probably one of them um meaning you know we don't have a corporate tax uh latvia now doesn't have latvia actually copied estonian uh tax model a couple of years ago yeah so um and it does help you to build a business right because you don't have to you know pay away a punch of money that perhaps you' made in revenue to taxes uh, and you can reinvest it into the company and 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 give the opportunity for the company to grow without being burdened or, or you know uh, hold down by a lack of lack of liquidity for example
0: just really quickly on that it's basically just a dividend tax as I understand it's a, it's a sliding scale but it's a dividend tax only if you take Profits out of the company is when you would be taxed, right?
1: Yeah, correct, correct. Uh, Yeah, and and when we go back to the 90s, then uh, I I do think there were a couple of smart people. For one, uh, I think it was Mark Lahr that that implemented the flat tax rate uh, system, which means that uh, it it was simple, right? Most old Europe has this gradual Taxation system, and but it's also harder to manage uh, that sort of system. So Estonia went uh, for the simplicity um, and um, and 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 trying to give that opportunity, you know, for for companies, entrepreneurs, and and, and try to uh, kind of um, what's that word in English? Um, well, well, t- t- they try to make that environment as good for for businesses as possible, and and I, I do think that has paid a lot of dividends. Yeah and and then we also have the timing right uh, i mean uh, when the russian tanks uh, left um, left uh, at the beginning of the 90s then it was a time when you know there it, it was kind of a chaotic environment uh, there weren't laws and there weren't any enforcement to actually make sure that laws are followed so um, you know from including mid 90s th- from from the Beginning of the 90s to to mid 90s, etc. You know, it was a complete sh- shit show, right? So uh, it's a lot of uh, killings, shootings, yeah. privatization, um, and and things like uh, you know things like that. And and, and I, I guess it's a natural process where, where a country is building itself up, right? So, um, but um, it also meant because it, it 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 did coincide with the time when uh, you know the uh, IT and internet and and uh, things like that and software started to started to um, develop and, and uh, take kind of gain traction in mainstream and, and so forth so um, and, and as we didn't have a you know a regulation upon regulation upon regulation which is very hard to change if you want to implement any any kind of system on the governmental level then you have to change a lot of regulations which isn't always easy and then you also have a lot of incumbents uh, incumbents in the government that you know they're pro- protecting their own position there so they don't want these changes to happen but we didn't have that so it was pretty it was a good ground to build up uh, Estonia uh, based on technology because that's that's how Estonia has been built up today uh, we have digitalized, you know, a lot of the, um, lot of the major parts of the economy: e-school, voting, you know, company management, uh, tax returns, uh, uh, healthcare, public transportation. I don't know if I already said that, but anyway, you know, a lot of these big things are are based on on uh, on technology, and 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 it really started at the start. Uh, I think in at the end of the '90s and early 2000s when uh, when these decisions were, were made to push Estonia to that direction and I think that has really played a key key part uh, for Estonia like Estonia is today for what Estonia is today
0: yeah and, and it's I think it's become you know pretty famous and pretty synonymous with uh, you know friendly tax regimes and regulatory regimes around the world you know as much as Singapore or Hong Kong or Switzerland um, for sure uh and it's interesting too because you know having the uh, heritage that i had when i came back from the us to latvia in 2006 uh it was always it was always like you know estonia is doing it's better better estonia is like way ahead of of latvia lithuania you know as far as um you know just modernizing its infrastructure and at least you mentioned a lot of the things that happened i think in all post-soviet countries you know like these Contract killings and just uh, the wild, wild sort of east, east days of mm-hmm. uh, no, no uh, regulation or no rules. And and I, we have a lot of libertarians who listen to the show as well. So like I can be pretty hardcore if I want to, as far as uh, how how it maybe should be ideally in an ideal world. But the interesting thing is, yeah, they all came from you know all the former Soviet countries came from this sort of greenfield space, like you said, where you can just do whatever. Is best, And it's, it's very interesting to me that Estonians have uh, really, really, it seems, uh, I think both in reputation and in like real spirit have sort of uh, driven that trend. And like you said, being anchored to technology.
1: One, one quick note I would like to make that when we compare Estonia and Latvia, we also have to, in my opinion, take into account the uh, location of Estonia as well, because Finland helped Estonia a lot in the early 90s. And they are our neighbors, you know, and Latvia had Estonia and Lithuania, both poor countries, as their neighbors, right? So, uh, and, and you know, the trade between Finland and the, the all the monetary help that they gave, that I, I do think that played a, a big part for Estonia as well. Yeah, definitely.
0: And I think uh, <laughs> Latvia just got the... Uh the big debt and the big credit coming from finland and uh sweden and norway yeah. as it came to estonia as well but uh yeah the, just the most the, the largest banks in these countries uh, for those that don't know i mean it was, oh, yeah. they had just huge credit bubbles before this uh 2008 crisis and after you know that they popped it was unbelievable but um yeah but uh yeah i think you're right definitely the estonian investment capital was or sorry Finnish investment capital was huge into estonia but i did want to ask you as well because you mentioned them you know like e-voting Uh, infrastructure, public uh, infrastructure, transportation, um, yeah, there as well. I mean, it seems very, very efficient. Like, is there any just quick examples about, you know, what's much easier in say an Estonian's life than, I don't know, even like a a Spaniard's or a French person's, are you you aware of like some of those?
1: Well, due to my uh, occupation and what I have been doing, with ComiStar, the most obvious exa- example for me is just you know starting a business, which is a pretty bureaucratic process in uh, in Western Europe. Uh, and in Estonia, it's you know I, I just log in to the state portal uh, with my ID card or mobile ID or whatever, and I register a company in thirty minutes. So uh, that's that's pretty different, right? Uh, and that's why also there are a lot are a lot of. Spanish, French, German, Italian, Greek uh, entrepreneurs that are coming to Estonia and using the Estonian residency program to set up their companies, and and uh, they it's it's just easier, it's just a lot easier, and it's a lot more cost-effective uh, compared to uh, what they have to do in their own countries. So that that's probably the most or the easiest answer I can give. I haven't I have never filed taxes in in other in these countries, so I don't know. Uh, but I assume it's a lot of paperwork.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's still a lot of paperwork in the US as well, I can tell you that. And unfortunately, I'm taxed on worldwide income, so I get to deal with that <laughs> every year. Yeah. But uh, let, let's put a pin in all that. I still want to come back to uh, some of the early days. I think it's interesting. I have a couple, uh, I've heard a couple of interesting stories myself. First of all, with Mart Lahr, um, this is not really a personal story, but I've heard that uh, like the only uh, economics book that he read before becoming you know, the first prime minister of independent uh, Lithuania at the age of, I think like 32 or 33 or something, was he read Milton Friedman's uh, Free to Choose, which is great. And again, we have some hardcore libertarians that like may not think Milton Friedman is the, the best libertarian philosopher, economist, but I mean, it's pretty good if you're starting from nothing and uh, the only thing that you've read when you become prime minister is Milton Friedman. So I thought that was great. And I mean, uh, yeah, what is his sort of reputation? You know, the first prime minister of free, independent Estonia after the, the Soviet Union. What is his uh, sort of reputation today?
1: It's a good, qu- uh, good question. Mm, he hasn't been active in politics for some time. He had some health issues. So um, he hasn't been in the media for a long time but for me i mean i'm 32 years old and and for me the it, it's it's definitely positive compared to most kind of politicians that i see on the media do, today but it also you know i i wasn't I, I was just a little kid when he was the prime minister so um i didn't experience you know his uh, tenure or or when he was uh, in the office sure. Sure. In a way that I, I experience po- politics today, so it's very hard to, uh, you know, be sure. But it does feel to me that at the time, um, especially because, you know, Estonia was such a young country, I do feel that politicians, including Mart Klar, had Estonian interests more in their hearts and minds than the current politicians do. Yeah. Meaning, yeah. It, it seems like today, uh, you know, all that politics is is you know driving your own agenda, your ideology, and uh, trying to make sure that uh, you have your position, you know, in the next government or in the European Parliament. So, you know, everything that you do would look great for your, you know, whoever is is in the Brussels and and to have their approval and and so forth. So there's very few statesmen left, uh, in, in politics. At least that's how it feels to me. Like everybody's out for their own interests. So uh, in in that sense, I I think his reputation is rather good. Uh, but definitely there are people, you know, perhaps who are older than me, uh, that think that, you know, it's, he, he he did not do as good job as, as he could have or, or things like that. But anyway, you know, politics is, you know, Power is always corrupt, so it's it's very yeah. That's that's my pretty much my opinion. It's it's very yeah yeah.
0: I I think it's just interesting. I've it's it's probably going to be one of my life's mission. One of my goals is to continue to educate. Westerners, in particular, about like sort of the damages of socialism and communism, because I mean we see it rising again today, and in, in China and and in in Russia, still very dictatorial and just crazy stuff going on right now. And these three little countries, you know, the Baltics, that were the first out really of the Soviet Union, and um, you know, there's just so many interesting little stories about you know. Preserving your independence, regaining your independence—you know, charting your own path. I think it, I think it really is a good lesson. You know, even for mm-hmm. you know Frenchmen and Germans and people that, um, you know, they learned those lessons sure like fifty years ago. But like you know, you forget it, and you know, yeah, it's just history has a strange way of rhyming, and there's a lot of, uh, lot of crazy stuff going on today. So yeah, I just I just like to point out those uh, little little stories or whatever if we can. Here, this is another funny one actually for you. Uh, I used to work for uh, two Americans actually uh, in Latvia, but they were in the Peace Corps in the early 90s, like right after the fall of the Berlin Wall and and the Soviet Union dissolved. One of them was in Estonia. And so this is like 92 to 94. And he told me the story that so he's working for the Peace Corps. Like their title is like business development. I don't really know what that means. Is in back in ninety two ninety four, like some kids coming over from America. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know they're around. They were volunteering and helping and doing things, uh, you know, and what they could, and maybe some translation stuff as well. But there was a report uh, that they were trying to do about maybe it was I don't know local transparency or something in the in the. In the government or something, and you know there's no internet. You can't really do web research, so they had to like call businesses and stuff. And then they thought they would call the uh, president's palace, and they called, and uh, they just called the general number, you know, like in the phone book or whatever. And uh, the voice picks up. They're like, uh, "Yes, we'd like to, uh, you know, speak to the president, please." They just <laughs> figured they just long shot it and ask ask for the president. <laughs> and then the voice at the other end of the line was like. Uh this is the president. <laughs> <And> it was. <laughs> and it was uh Leonard Mary, your uh president, also very famous and well known in uh, his own regard. Uh well traveled, I think, got out of the Soviet Union a couple times or whatever to study or work abroad in Finland. But uh very legendary figure as well. And it's a true story. It's a true story that I think it's hilarious. That like mm-hmm. you could just literally in those times you could call. President's office and the president himself would actually pick up, yeah. And uh, I had heard, like, as well, like he used to carry around like a screwdriver with him. He would always like say, you know, you have to just take it on yourself to fix things if they're broken. (laughs) And like, really was a remarkable uh character, it seems,
1: yeah, yeah. He's uh very much loved in Estonia, so um, and he did a great job as well. Spoke a lot of languages, um, and um, seems that you know he was a very good communicator um, because you know foreign, uh, let's say, ministries, etc. They everybody got along with him very well and and uh, respected him. So uh, he he definitely had a very positive I- impact um, for Estonia. So uh, yeah, I agree. He's uh, he, he he he's he's one of the greats, I guess
0: yeah so it's just cool. I think that um more people need to pay attention to you know this part of the world because they really did start from a blank sheet.
1: yeah, that says that says a lot about the state of the uh, you know country, if you can call to the president's office and he he picks up himself, so it's
0: yeah yeah, and it's I, I mean, of course, it's of course, that won't happen today. and of course, it's all different with social media and whatever. but um just a very interesting time to me, and that was you know, it was ten years before my time as well before I was, you know, uh at least' it's trying to act like an adult over in, uh, in Eastern Europe, so yeah, 10, fifteen years. So, so it, it was yeah, it, it's it's an interesting juxtaposition, I think of like what you hear about politics and like you hear about like true like liberty and freedom. And so I, I really think it's Estonia is just a great story, and I definitely think more people should uh, you know keep following up on on what they're doing. So yeah, maybe enough pontificating about that we can get more more concrete with what you guys are doing. So interesting story as well about how you got into the business and, and eventually uh, fell into business advisory. But um, what are the services that you have come to uh, to be known for, and, and what do you what services do you provide your your clients?
1: Yeah, well, I, I do have to say that I have always been interested in uh, technology and innovation and things like that. So um, it, it was a pretty shocking for me that I ended up doing the most. Boring business in the world, which was you know accounting <laughs> and helping you know to set up the company and uh, all these inc- incorporation agents. I think it, ha- it it's kind of a gray area, you know. They always have some fishy websites, and it, it, it seems to be a world that lives you know by its own and and uh, it's just a different different industry. But uh, yeah, I mean we we have grown into. Uh, different types of services but we still do we, we do accounting we help uh, e-residents um, to set, set up their companies in Estonia we provide legal services and one of the main services in the last uh, let's say three years three and a half years or so has been helping uh, crypto companies to get licensed in Estonia because Estonia has specific crypto licenses but overall it's um, it's support services for companies that are coming to Estonia and they want to uh, want to uh, build up your company out of Estonia, and we, we kind of do everything from A to Z, Z, Z A mm-hmm. to Z. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: either one is yeah.
1: fine. <laughs> um, so, and and help them, you know, just to manage your business in a more effective way. And we will build uh, our own company management software for that. And uh, we are still kind of uh, working on that and making it better every day. Yeah, so that's pretty much what we do with ComiStar. So uh, it's still kind of, boring industry, but we have a very interesting clients when it comes to crypto.
0: Hey, just a quick break to remind you that this show is sponsored by Hoddle HODL. HODL, Hodl is the fastest and most secure way to buy or sell Bitcoin without verification and with the lowest fees on the market. Trade in any country in the world for any payment method and any currency. So go ahead and sign up with the link HODLHODL.com slash join slash crypto voices and get a discounted trading fee. Forever. HoddleHoddle.com slash join slash crypto voices when you sign up. You won't regret it. Uh, thanks again to Max, Roma, and everybody over at Hoddle Hoddle for the support. And uh, a reminder, they also organize the very well run and fantastic Baltic Honey Badger Bitcoin Conference every fall in Riga. So head on over to HoddleHoddle.com slash join slash crypto voices. Thanks again and back to the show. Yeah, so speaking of crypto, I mean, uh, Estonia as well was very early to the game in trying to provide some framework for businesses to operate. Um, I think a lot of ICOs took advantage of that as well, for better or for worse. Uh, what's it been like? I mean, with, with <laughs> from the early days, I know a lot of people lost their licenses, a lot of companies and entities due to inactivity or whatnot, or, you know, completely flopping their ICO in the yeah. last couple of years. But I mean, what, what's it been like uh, with Estonia's um, approach to, to the cryptocurrency space?
1: Yeah, well, in 2017, when Estonia introduced the crypto licenses, uh, at first there were two licenses. By now it's unified. It's only one license. But um, you could start your own exchange and provide your e-wallet or custody service for crypto, uh, cryptocurrencies, right? so but the officials nor the um authorities that uh, created or adjusted the existing regulations they didn't really expect or understand how big trend crypto is so um what happened happened was that in 2018 More than, you know, 600 exchange licenses and more than 500 e-wallet licenses were issued. And uh, in 2019, more than 600 of both licenses were issued. And a lot of these uh, licenses were issued to companies because the requirements were were very simple, right? You only had to pay the state fee. You had to submit your non-criminal history record and you had to submit your AML policies, which, you know, office like ours would prepare for you. So and it was just you know a thirty day process to get the license. So essentially, if you had you know let's say five thousand or ten thousand euros, you could get your license. You did not have any considerable upkeep cost. You didn't have you did not have to have any sort of local management or anything like that. So kind of any opportunist to could to get the license and you know speculate and see what what what's going to happen. And um and that's what that's what happened. Right, a lot of companies got the license and it kind of when Estonian. Uh, authorities signaled in 2019 at the end of 2019 that they are going to change the crypto regulations and they're going to make it stricter and now regulations are stricter and the space has been cleaned up I was uh, I was a bit you know pissed I thought okay that's not a cool thing on one side we are um we are saying that your residency location independent business independent business etc and on the other hand we're going to require companies to have their you know management in estonia and local office here and you know but i was so biased right it, it was my business that's why i thought about mm-hmm. about it that way uh, on big picture and on h- hindsight of course it was a great thing for estonian crypto space but um but i understood it when Lawyers in my network and other people as well, uh, there weren't too many of them, but you know my network isn't that big either uh, were sending me some projects, and one Spanish lawyer sent me tr- two projects for, uh, that uh, that were operating under Estonia license and uh, and he said, well, these look like a Ponzi schemes. Uh, it doesn't make any sense how the, what they're offering to the investors. Uh, economically it's just not feasible etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, and of course uh, on the home page in the front page uh they have written like we are supervised and licensed by the eu authority you know companies were using the license to use, uh, signal to the entrepreneur so to the investors that they are legitimate you know, players in the industry and that they are thoroughly supervised while in reality, reality, there was no supervision. There was no resources or capacity to supervise these companies properly. So, um, and you know, I, I, I did realize that I don't want Estonia to become a regulatory trash can. And, um, and if there is a pattern that Estonian companies are, you know, scamming people, then it will be a problem for the image of Estonia. And, and then it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a very different, uh, different ball game for me as well, um, as a business. So, uh, so what what ended up happening is uh, that uh, in, in uh, two thousand nine, no two thousand twenty, the Estonian authorities uh, revoked one thousand two hundred ninety six licenses.
0: Out of how many?
1: Like two hundred were left. Wow, something like that yeah and uh, but m- most many of these companies were you know ICO companies, they didn't have any business. Uh, a lot of those licenses that were revoked were companies that uh, had not started any business in the first six months, and that's one of the requirements in the law. So if you are going to obtain the license, you will actually start a business. Uh, and they hadn't done that. and uh, and of course many of many of the uh, licenses that were revoked were also revoked from the companies that were not ready. To uh, invest into the local upkeep, meaning they were not ready to have that local office here, or you know, uh, hire a board, you know, a, a board member in Estonia who would actually be here and, and take care of things to to some extent at least. Yep. So, um, but it's a good thing because companies that were not willing to do that it means they didn't really have a business right. So, um, and now we definitely have a lot healthier environment, and also the banking institutions that are serving crypto com- uh, companies, you know, uh, banking providers that are willing to accept uh, high-risk profile clients, they are more willing to work with Estonian companies. So overall, it has been a very positive change. But it also, you know, it's it's been pretty crazy for Estonian crypto scene uh, the, the last couple of years. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you uh, just uh, elucidate a little bit on the Status of what happened to some of these dormant ICOs. I mean, I have uh, always thought. I mean, we don't want to talk about it too much on this show. Like, it just seemed like it was a. I, I have no problem with if, if ICOs really could revolutionize the way that you typically would raise funds for a for a project. I think it's fantastic. If uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that the SEC is the answer to all problems, and I definitely don't like it if like you know, Bitcoiners are just championing the SEC to like shut down. I don't know, Ethereum or Ripple or whatever, but um, I think those projects could just fail on their own anyway if they they are um, really not having any value. Mm -hmm. But the ICOs were a very particular and specific thing that it very much seemed like Eastern Europeans, ironically Baltics again, uh, were uh, taking sort of uh, advantage of. Like I think in Lithuania, they had like, they had a Huge amount of ICOs in Lithuania, like maybe highest per capita. Yeah, um, it's unbelievable. And then in Estonia as well, like at least, even if not all Estonian companies or Estonian, you know, people you know have foreign management or whatever, was there any like action taken or do you, was it just sort of like, uh, you know, we just sort of forget about it and just like, you know, <laughs> all the money that was lost that just you should have known better and it took. And I have no problem with that, by the way. I'm not saying that investors need to be babied. Yeah, I think caveat emptor is very important, you know, let the buyer beware. Um, I absolutely think that's an important principle. But was there any, like, I know the SEC, you know, is trying to target a few projects, right? Ripple being perhaps the most uh, recent and most prominent. But was there any sort of action taken against some of these failed projects in Estonia? Yeah. On on behalf of investors, let's say.
1: It is correct that I think the reason why Estonia was uh, in a forefront of you know a number of icos was due to the fact that a lot of uh, these icos were actually conducted by foreign entrepreneurs setting up Estonian legal entity and doing it out of Estonia um, there haven't been a lot of these cases. I know just a few of them where uh, investors have and, and it's uh, it's only uh, I, I know only these that have kind of Uh, been on the media and they have been on the media because they were also conducted by uh, Estonians or people living in Estonia right and and uh, people that lost money were Estonian investors Mm -hmm. so one 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 such case is in the courts right now but I don't I haven't heard that there has been too many of them because you know if you compare the number of ICOs that were done then uh, you know, probably only a fraction of them have uh, ended up in courts.
0: Probably a fraction of them have any money left either.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I guess you know Ripple, for example, it's because they are so prominent, right? SEC could not go after you know yeah, each and sure. a- any any one. It, it, it's because they know that this project is still working. It's you know uh, one of the be- best known. Uh, Cryptos out there, right, and and that's why they are they, they go after that. So, uh, but I I do think that most of them were failed projects. They never gained any prominence. So, and investors. I mean, I invested into ICOs as well. Like you know, and uh, and most of them, you know, they are not they are, they are, they are not existing anymore. So, but I couldn't care less because it's I'm not going to try to you know, get some right. do some legal actions against them. It's just it, it was it was what it was, right? Yeah. Uh, people always take advantage of uh, regulatory ineffic- inefficiencies. And that's what it was.
0: Completely understand. What would be some of the more favorable um, aspects of the Estonian legislation, you know, if someone does decide to do a, uh, a crypto project in, uh, in Estonia?
1: I think it's a big plus even today when you actually have some sort of regulation. Where you know which you can understand uh, and and act on or follow, because when I when I look at, uh, for example, the European Union, then in in most countries, there still isn't any clarity on how you know crypto projects should be regulated. And uh, it's just lack of clarity, I guess, and lack of regulation. And Estonia does have uh, still you know this uh, crypto license. It's not the legal term, in, but the term. But let's use the crypto license as a reference. So, um, mm-hmm. and you you can do your exchange platform uh, using that crypto license. You can provide your crypto wallet service using that license. Um, so, and and it does give some sort of certainty for these companies that okay, at least I am you know regulated to to some extent, or I'm re- I, I'm within some sort of regulatory framework where this is allowed and these are the things that I can do uh, compared to uh, other places where you don't have such regulation at all. And in Estonia, the requirements are still very, very kind of, they're very light compared to most other financial services, meaning, you know, you have this 12,000 euros of share, minimum share capital, you have to have your management uh, in, in Estonia local office. And, and that's pretty much, you know, Uh, and AML officer as well, sorry. And these are the core things that you have to fulfill in order to set up your crypto business compared to, you know, E-money institutions where you have to have like 350,000 euros of share capital and uh, where the team is, the team that you have is reviewed in a whole different way. You know, people have to have prior, let's say, banking experience and things like that. So it's, it's, it's still quite easy in Estonia, but it's, not as easy, you know if you are not if you're not willing to make investments, it's it's still something that you will not do, but it's uh, complicated enough. And when you compare it to, for example, Malta, right? Malta was extremely popular among crypto projects, and yeah. and it's not anymore. I mean any any as as far as I know, for example, in their current regulatory framework, uh, unless it's it has been updated or changed, any crypto token that is tradable, is deemed to be a security, right? And so, even if any any utility token is therefore that is on on a crypto exchange, is deemed to be a security. And and a lot of those big crypto companies have left Malta, and uh, it's very h- difficult to deal with Mal- uh, Maltese uh, regulatory body, etc. Uh, and uh,
0: it's not really crypto specific, is it?
1: Yeah, yeah. They are kind of if you want to set up your exchange there, it's just MiFID um, regulation. And means that you have to, you know, register your MFT, which is a type of uh, investment firm, and you have to have this 720 or 50 or something um, euros of share capital, and a lot of time, a lot of money paid to the lawyers, etc. So it's just a different thing, and uh, it, that's that's I, I guess that's the main upside of Estonia today. You have that clarity, um, and you know what you can do with the license, and that's. That's pretty much what it takes today to be an attractive uh, crypto uh, uh, crypto jurisdiction.
0: And one thing I wanted to ask you, because I think it's interesting how much traction it does have, you know, I mean, who's time will tell, I guess, to see how this becomes regulated in other markets and taxed in other markets. But, you know, stable coins are a huge uh, boon to uh, the liquidity of the crypto market. Uh, A lot of companies, you know, store value in USDT or USDC or even uh, DAI, you know, token, I think at times, you know, it can be like 50% of uh, Ethereum's liquidity, you know, on a daily basis can be in USDT. So it's um, maybe not that I think, yeah, sometimes it can be 50%, maybe it's a little bit less on average. But um, do you see any use cases or companies that are coming into Estonia that are using stable coins? more often than like a regular bank account and they're sort of trying to run their liquidity in stable coins and is there any special tax treatment for stable coins, anything, anything like that being uh, brought attention to in Estonia?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I haven't seen, well, of course I don't deal with client like I don't do accounting myself, therefore I don't follow you know the everyday transactions of clients so closely but i haven't seen any company that uh, kind of has taken a stable coin as their base currency instead of fiat currency right so i haven't seen that but yeah. they, but there is definitely quite a quite a lot of transactions in stable coins for example we have one client that is a, is an investment fund and they um, they invest in cryptos and and work with in, uh, institutional clients and and these institutional clients they do invest in uh, USDT, for example, instead of uh, instead of fiat money, not always, but there are you know those cases where you know they 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 pay with USDT instead of euro yeah. euro for example, and also our clients pay to us quite often in Bitcoin or in uh, stable coins. So uh, and and I think it's more. It's more common probably in countries like Russia, like China, who are doing international business because now you don't have that capital control element to doing transactions internationally. So obviously it's there's a big benefits for stable coins for companies and, and entrepreneurs in, in, in these countries. But it's definitely a growing trend to use stable coins more and more so. Uh, and even when I talk on behalf of uh, my own businesses, then uh, I... I do hold you know u s d c and it's just sta- it's just staking right and uh and instead of holding euro so it's something that is i think it will be used a lot more in the next five years there there's definitely a trend towards that um there's no special tax regime,
0: yeah, let me stop you there. You mentioned Bitcoin that's interesting uh even getting paid in Bitcoin, I think there's some gray area, certainly in many regimes re- many regulatory tax regimes about that. Is it the case though that if you got paid in Bitcoin that like you would have to mark to market in euros the amount that you got paid and then pay an income tax on that, or does it do you only pay once you would sell the bitcoin
1: when we issue an invoice, then we issue an invoice in euro right uh and let's say it's ten thousand euros and they and then the client just pays equivalent amount in bitcoin you know what what's mm-hmm. ten thousand euros like third third of bitcoin yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, so they just pay pay that um. But because Estonian taxation system is one uh, regime is is one where you don't pay any tax uh, before you take money out of the company, so um, I, I don't pay anything on that Bitcoin right. If I convert it, I can put it to to, uh, to my bank account in euros. Um, I don't pay any tax on that moment. I only pay tax when I eventually pay that euro out as dividends or salary for myself, or, uh, you know, I can pay dividends in bitcoins as well, but I still have to pay the taxes in euros to the tax office. So that's the only thing. I see. And even if you get get paid in Bitcoin, I mean, if the VAT is there as well, and it's still in a VAT rate is 20%, and I have to pay that 20% to the tax office, then that, this part, I still have to pay in euros to the tax office, but I can just keep the Bitcoin in Bitcoin, I don't have to convert it to euro. So
0: yeah. I didn't think about that actually with, with the Estonian tax regime in, in particular and in that you wouldn't have to pay at least any, you know, shareholders tax once it gets, you know, until it gets to that dividend level. So that's, that is interesting regarding, uh, the way the Bitcoin sort of floats around in uh, in an Estonian company, uh, some of your clients, are you able to say like some types of businesses or some prominent clients or some prominent sort of use cases that uh, this crypto regulation has uh, fostered in Estonia, like some some good companies?
1: I can't say the names. Yeah, uh, because we're Yeah, yeah, legal services. It's just something that I would need approval for. But uh, there are a lot of big Asian exchanges that uh, have or have had Estonia license. Um, sometimes they come and go right for example when we talk about chinese exchanges because it's so difficult to get any license in china mm. they naturally value licenses in other countries very highly as well even even when these licenses aren't that valuable right so uh, but uh, a lot of asian exchanges that i have uh, come through us because i uh, i also have uh, uh, an advisory office together with two chinese entrepreneurs uh, and and we we advise Chinese projects uh, in, in blockchain scene so um, that that has been probably the reason why we have seen uh, so many Chinese exchanges uh, but we also uh, have clients in uh, in lending space and and you know some of the names are probably you know very well known and, and some of the biggest um, lenders where, where Bitcoin is collateral so yeah. We have we have clients from all over the place when it comes to crypto.
0: It would be crypto like lending companies, right? It wouldn't be like a bank.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a certainly interesting space. I mean, I think uh, it all comes down to access to credit, and if you can provide liquidity via a crypto token, that's less regulated. Of course, you know. I always, I go on tangents all the time on the show and I get as well in my own mind when I think about like lending and crypto regulation, because I'm, I'm just afraid that, you know, some of these jurisdictions, you know, and there was some speculation that the US as well, like they're really gonna have some draconian regulations around wallets and whatnot, but I mean, uh, which they may still have, but I mean, you don't want it to just be like the exact same thing of the industry that it's trying to disrupt, right the traditional financial industry. So uh, how do you feel about that? Do you think that there really will be some differentiation of the crypto you know Bitcoin lending space? like do you think that um, we will avoid some of the same pitfalls that cause all the problems in the past, you know of traditional banking?
1: Well, I don't know how can you or how will you regulate? DeFi lending pro- protocols, right? Um, it's it's going to be very difficult because if there isn't a central body or you know a company that's that is managing the pro- protocol, for example, and it's managed by the community. Uh, it's open source, etc. Then how will you regulate that? I think that's going to be uh, something that's, that it's, it's just very interesting. I don't think you can do that yeah. uh, because who are you regulating? Right? It's just a pro- protocol, and uh, and it's you know, and and the same applies for um, automated market makers. Um, I think Uniswap uh, is is based out of US, so um, I, I don't know how their governance is and, and so forth. I, I haven't looked into it, but. I, I think DeFi space is interesting because I think it's very hard to regulate the DeFi space. It's just so different; it doesn't fall into the same frameworks as the traditional finance. Uh, but I do think there's definitely a push to regulate crypto assets as you are regulating um, regu- as as uh, the traditional finance is regulated. And um, I don't know how it went, but I I heard that um, the FinCEN, the U.S. regulatory body of some sort, uh, they wanted to push on push on a rule for crypto exchanges uh, wallets, non custodial wallets, even that when you're sending crypto to someone, then you also have to add the details of the recipient, like you do today when you're sending them uh, um, bank transfer. Right, that you have to add a name and you have to add uh, That's terrible. uh address of that person. Yeah, to the to the uh, to the information. So and uh, and it's. Uh, yeah, that's 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 what they try to do, and I also believe that more we have these very prominent figures joining in on the um, on the let's say the Bitcoin space, the crypto space, especially the uh, known investors like Truck and Miller mm-hmm. and uh, and guys like that, because they have a lot of lobbying power, right? So and and they know how things work in Washington and how to th- how to kind of navigate these waters as well. I think this actually helps crypto because uh, otherwise, you know, if you don't have any prominent or known people that are speaking on behalf of of the industry and how the industry has to be, how the crypto world works, and why it's different, etc., then uh, I, I think they would try to you know, regulate it as much and, and as harshly as possible.
0: Yeah, it just makes you wonder like where where would that end game get to? Because you know everybody's talking about it. You know central. CBDC, central bank digital currencies, or centrally backed digital currencies,
1: and um, yeah, you want to hear a, a hear a joke? Lay it on me. Uh, I just uh, I, I read it. Uh, I, I read it last week. They had this meeting in Davos, right, uh, where all the elites and everybody goes, and right. there was there was a topic about cryptocurrency, and uh, the experts that were invited on, on topic of cryptocurrency was like, you know, the head of Central Bank of Eng- England and, you know, people that are not experts in cryptocurrency. <laughs> and and the message or yeah. the result that they arrived at was that cryptocurrency isn't inclusive. Oh my God. Um, that Africans, for example, can't use cryptocurrency and pay with cryptocurrency because they don't have the uh, latest generation mobile phones and things like that. Oh man, it's 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 just, you know, and and fiat currency is inclusive, or what what are you telling me? Right now, people don't have access to the USD. They have access to crypto. It's just it's just madness. So um and and that's kind but but why it matters is, you know, there are a lot of people and policymakers uh, that go that are in Davos and, and then they will communicate the narrative about the industry. And usually you can expect that if that is the narrative there, then this is going to be pushed. Up on uh, on the countries and and uh, policymakers. So yeah, we'll see how, how it will play out. Yeah, it's it's
0: incredible. I mean that that's just an incredible thing to say. And uh, whatever you think about any other token versus Bitcoin or Bitcoin versus any other token. I mean, like just to say <laughs> just to say that. I mean, the plot could not could not be more black. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this small group of people in Davos is going to be able to uh, you know, take it back to their companies and be inclusive. I don't know. It's just it just boggles yeah. the mind when clearly, clearly the trends are going the other way, you know, as far as you know, regulation and what people are saying they want to do with this stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be a battle. It's definitely going to be a battle. What uh, what do you guys think about Bitcoin?
1: There's so much happening all the time in this space right now. The, all the all the rage is about DeFi, right, and NFT and, and so on. Uh, but for me personally, Bitcoin, it's, it's like your last piece of freedom that you have. The fact that you have it, it, it just gives you a peace of mind, right? So uh, that you have, you know, something that's that can not be taken away from you because everything else can be taken away from you. Um, so uh, it is, it is that, and uh, I do think that it will get uh, more difficult in Estonia as well. They are discussing uh, to discussing to change the regulation in a way that it's more difficult and. Uh, and of course, it's everything is about protecting the investors and and the consumers. <laughs> of
0: uh, course, it's always yeah.
1: protecting the investors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, it's it's currently being discussed. I I have kind of skimmed through or read the um, how to how do you say the draft of the law, and I alr- I already submitted my responses. Nice, do the uh, ministry as well it's
0: benefit of a small country right there. you can actually <laughs> get your yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's kind of like a public uh, how to say it's uh, they kind of call you up on that like everybody involved in this market, and mm-hmm. uh, you know just give feedback what you think on the law and and then it's it's going to go forward, you know hopefully they take something into account um and uh, and that's that's what it is and they are planning if it's going to take effect then it's probably going to be in 2022 uh summer when when they w- try to enforce that but we'll see uh hopefully there will be changes to what they have uh proposed and it's not that much about the regulatory requirements that they have proposed that i am against it's more for for me personally but it's Estonian thing. I'm. Against moving the liable or responsible authority issuing the licenses from the Estonian FIU to Estonian FCA, which has been in the last years very conservative and very difficult when it comes to innovation. So that's my main criticism. Uh, but we'll see w- what will happen. I, I mean, there's some time, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, it won't go through in a way that has been presented at the moment
0: you do have an office in switzerland which is also you know branding itself as this uh crypto valley or whatever i don't know if they're still using that term but you know this crypto silicon valley you have uh offices in the us as well as well as finland so i mean what are your clients thinking there i mean is it a is it a common sort of recommendation to come to Estonia or do you offer other solutions in other jurisdictions like?
1: Yeah, it's completely different. I mean, the Swiss office doesn't deal with crypto at all. It's mainly for tax structures and for Scandinavian entrepreneurs. Uh, I see. That is a typical typical client, uh, wealthy, wealthy Scandinavians. So, and, and Finland is pretty much the same, where they are helping to, you know, map out all the taxation um, possibilities and and uh, risks and and things like that, and then they make a recommendation whether you should go to according to your situation, to Estonia or Switzerland or you know what are the best options for a uh, concrete indi- individual. The US office is mainly for European companies that just want to set up their company in in, uh, in the US and you know get it get it trademarked and. You know these simple support services and it's it's kind of a license based business meaning that i don't own the la office right there's a different person that's responsible for all the operations there and we kind of cooperate as a network so um, yeah that's that's how it works uh, different people are managing different offices and we don't we don't kind of we, we work together but we don't we are not involved with the let's say intrinsic operations in these countries
0: i see interesting well, Mick, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. Uh, we're already bumping up to an hour here. Uh, anything that we have missed regarding Commistar?
1: No, I think it's good. I mean, if anyone wants to or is interested in Estonia, they can just you know come to our webpage or, or connect with me on LinkedIn, and that's fine.
0: Well, I've definitely heard a lot of great things uh, about your business up in Tallinn. In and yeah, like I said, I have a lot of respect for, uh, in general, what Estonians have been doing for a long time, for you know, developing good capital markets and, and uh, respecting private property and stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's yeah. a nice story. It's a nice story for sure. I uh, wish uh, in some ways Latvia could get its act together a little bit better. But, you know, the grass is always greener, right? So I'm
1: just. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Latvia has been doing quite well as well, in my opinion, especially in the in the, in the recent years. I did, of course, I don't f- follow Latvian news and the economy that closely, but uh, they're all right.
0: Well, Nick, that's great. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Any other links?
1: You know, I'm not very active on Twitter. So um, probably it's going to be LinkedIn. And uh, then you probably can put our homepage to the show notes and uh, they can find our blog. We write quite a lot. I write quite a lot there. And there's a lot, a lot of different topics about uh, regulations, how to do, what to do, etc. So that, that would be the best way to uh, you know, follow what we're doing.
0: Mick, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And I hope to catch up soon and uh, follow up, see how everything's going up in Estonia.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.